0: Hello, everybody. What you're listening to is not the actual recording of our Sunday sermon. Unfortunately, we did not get a recording that morning. So I have re-recorded it uh, later, but uh, without a crowd there, without an actual, without it being an actual Sunday morning uh, delivery, it's going to sound a little bit more like a podcast than a sermon. And maybe some of you are used to that anyway. Uh, but as usual, you can click on the sermon on our website and read it for yourself if you'd like to do that. I'm going to be speaking probably a little more quickly than usual as well, and um, um, but you can always rewind and re-listen if you need to. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to do this, so hopefully this all happens in in one take. I uh, began the sermon by reminding us as a church that a church and being a member of a church is different than being a member of a gym or uh, you know, a giant grocery warehouse store because places like LA Fitness and Costco, they are for-profit organizations. They provide service to their customers, but they're not intrinsically made up of the people who join them. As long as you give LA Fitness or Costco your money every month, they're not going to call you if you stop attending because you are not a vital part of who they are. Uh, in fact, if you're a member of a gym, the inanimate weights and machines of the gym are more a part of the gym than you are. But that's not how things work with a local church. The Church of Jesus Christ might own property, but that property is not what fundamentally makes up the church. The church, many of you know, is the people. The church is those who have committed themselves both to Christ and to one another. So if you want to have a healthy church, the most fundamental requirement is it's not a budget issue. It's not a building issue. It's not about programs. The most fundamental requirement is healthy members. You can't have a wonderful, healthy church, in a biblical sense, without having biblically healthy Christians, individuals. We're looking at the closing sections of 1 Thessalonians, and what we see is not just a spattering of biblical commands, but a useful checklist for a healthy church and, individually, a healthy Christian. A healthy Christian, according to verses 12 and 13 of 1 Thessalonians 5, is someone who appreciates and honors his leaders. A healthy Christian, according to the end of verse 13, is someone who seeks to live at peace with others. According to verse 14, a healthy Christian also admonishes the unruly, encourages the faint-hearted, helps the weak. He's patient with everyone. According to verse 15, we could also add to the list that a healthy Christian responds to evil with good, and he helps his brothers and sisters do the same. As we come to verse 16, you've got some brief commands that give us even more characteristics. A healthy Christian is joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Verses 16 through 18 say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is a topic some people like to focus on, talk about, learn about. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God's will is that you repent of your sin and that you be saved by trusting in Christ alone. If you're already a Christian, if you have, by God's grace, been united to Christ, if you are in Christ, as Paul puts it, God's will is that you always rejoice. And in the original Greek, the adverb comes first. Paul says, always rejoice at all times. There is not supposed to be a time of day or a season of life when you're not rejoicing. We, uh, a few weeks ago, had kids camp at our church and kids would run around smiling, laughing. They're filled with joy because they're playing games in an air-conditioned room, because they're playing with fun water, because they're eating snacks and candy, so they're happy. There were some kids who cried when the day ended because they didn't want to go home. We as adults might laugh at that response, but we, we need to recognize that life is not a continual stream of pleasant experiences in which we delight. A sunny day only lasts so long, eventually the sun sets or the storm clouds gather. We know as adults, that there will be severe pain in this life, and even in those times, God calls us to rejoice or to be glad. Verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5 is only two words. They don't need a lot of explanation, but what's going to help us obey the command, what's good for you as an individual Christian, what's good for us as a church, is if we understand what joy is and how we can be joyful. So those are the two main sections that came out of my study this week i focused my attention on what the new testament says about joy that's going to what i'm going to share with you and then in uh the next sermon that i give uh, we're we'll focusing on what we can find joy in but today i want to just turn your attention to four principles concerning joy um, a lot of passages i'm gonna go through them pretty quickly but you, you can pause and rewind. You can go online to our notes page on the sermon and, and read it for yourself if you'd like. Four principles about joy. Number one is that joy is not always good. Joy is not always good. That, that's somewhat countercultural. Our, our, church, our, our culture just wants people to be happy. And as long as you're happy, everything's fine. That's not true in a biblical sense. Just because you see someone experiencing joy in their life, just because you see the word joy in the Bible, doesn't mean that uh, something inherently good is happening. To have joy simply means to delight in something. A synonym is to be glad, that sometimes the word for joy gets translated that way. Joy and gladness are emotional words. They're almost, uh, Axiomatic. They're so intrinsic. Even a kid knows what it's like to enjoy something, but it's hard to define. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. The feeling of joy is pleasant, but not all joy honors God. And that's because you and I can delight in the wrong things or we can delight in the wrong way. Just as a clear example of sinful joy, we have passages like Mark 14 and Luke 22 that tell us that the chief priests were joyful. They were glad when Judas agreed to betray Jesus into their hand. That's evil joy. They took joy in their sin, and that's exactly what 1 Corinthians 13 says not to do. We should not rejoice in unrighteousness. Along the same lines, we have John sixteen twenty, which says Jesus says that the world's going to rejoice because of his death. In Revelation eleven ten, it says the world would rejoice and celebrate when God's witnesses are murdered. So people putting Jesus to death or putting God's messengers to death are an extreme example of rejoicing in wickedness but a lot of times, impure joy is, is more subtle than that. Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, and one of uh, his emphases was that they stay focused on Christ so they don't get distracted. He wanted to secure, he says in 1 Corinthians 7, undistracted devotion. And there was something happening or about to happen in the Corinthian church that, that need, needed their attention. And in 1 Corinthians 7:30, he says, let those who rejoice live as though they were not rejoicing. And he says the same thing about those who were grieving and those who were married and those who were conducting business he's not saying it's sinful or bad to conduct business or to be sorrowful or to be joyful what he's saying is that the joys and the pleasures and the responsibilities of life can distract us from devotion to christ so that needs to be a good reminder in for us joy can be a distraction joy can be evil and it can be a distraction joy can also be deceiving jesus told the parable of the soils that so someone receives the word of god with joy we would celebrate when someone receives the word of god like that but we need to be aware that that joy might be connected to christ but it might be connected to christ for the wrong reasons and, and therefore it doesn't last jesus said in, in some cases the joy of hearing god's word is temporary a person falls away from christ he loses his joy because persecution or affliction or temptation arises so what they experienced initially was real joy, but it wasn't real Christian joy. Otherwise, it would have endured. And you have that in the stories of Jesus's ministry, passages like Luke 13, Luke 19. They say the people rejoiced because they saw Jesus's miracles. They saw how he humiliated the religious establishment. They liked that. When he entered Jerusalem, the people were rejoicing. But just a few days later, the same crowd was saying, crucify him, crucify him. They're calling for his death. That wasn't true joy when he walked into the city. That wasn't true Christian joy. Luke 23.8 also says Herod was joyful when he got to see Jesus. He was joyful because he wanted to satisfy his curiosity. He, he, He didn't rejoice because he loved Christ. He wanted to see a miracle. He wanted to be entertained. So we need to keep that in mind. Joy is not always a good thing. You personally need to be aware of the possibility of unholy joy in your own heart. God is not pleased just because you are pleased. Joy is not always good. Principle number two is this, true joy only comes from God. True joy only comes from God. In Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the rewards in the life to come. And he says that those who are righteous are gonna hear, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. That speaks of a joy that God gives, but it's also a joy that is within God himself. The God of the Bible, the God of the apostles is a God of joy. Joy is an inherent character uh, trait of God. And he shares it with his children just like we could say we just like first john says god is love we could also say god is joy in luke 15 jesus tells the well-known stories of the missing sheep and the missing coin and the missing son or the prodigal son and one of the repeated themes in those stories is that after finding or receiving back what had been lost the person rejoices and jesus said that joy points to the joy in heaven over a sinner who repents That's the joy, not just of the angels, but it says the joy in in the presence of the angels. It's the joy of God, and we're called to participate in that as well. Well, the only way to get God's joy is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had the joy of the Father in him. And then in John 15, he says, he came so that his joy would be in us, so that our joy would be made full. And he said the same thing in John 17. He He taught his disciples the truth so that his joy would be complete in them. So true joy comes from God through the Son, and it's a product of the Holy Spirit. When you come to Jesus Christ, he gifts you his Holy Spirit, and part of what the Spirit does in your life is produce joy. So you have a lot of passages that connect joy to the Holy Spirit. Acts 13 says the disciples were filled with, the jo- with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Those aren't two distinct realities. There's a connection. The Spirit produces godly joy. Romans 14:17 says righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.22, which a lot of you know, tells us joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says the church received the word with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has joy and he gives it to the, his people. So if you want true joy, it comes from the Father through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Call out to God. If you have never laid your life before Christ, that that's his Calling on your life. Surrender your life. Call out for forgiveness. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will gift you his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit will produce genuine joy. That is a joy, according to John 16, that no one will take away. If you already belong to Christ, and and there are seasons when we know we don't have the joy of God, we should pray for more joy. We need to depend on God for joy, since he's the source, rather than look for it in the things of this world. We can enjoy the things of this world, we delight in it, and that's from God, but we have to recognize that behind all those things is God. No matter how ordinary something might seem, we of all people should be those who enjoy the good gifts of God because we know the one who's behind all of it. So you have a really good meal, you have a, a wonderful relationship you enjoy, praise God for that, rejoice in it, and thank God because he's the one behind it. God wants you to be joyful. And we need to share that with people as they think about what what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is rooted in Christ, who represented God to us, and he was marked by joy. God began a good work in you. He's going to bring it to completion, and it's a work of joy. God's working in you for sanctification, and that includes joy. One day, according to Jude 24, God will cause you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. That's the eternal state. Not only is sin going to be eradicated, joy will be perfectly... Uh, present in your life true joy only comes from god principle number three is this true joy touches every aspect of the christian life true joy touches every aspect of the christian life god did not intend joy to be an isolated trait in your life joy is meant to enhance and strengthen and season everything else If your Christian life was a pizza, joy is not a slice. Joy is not a topping. Joy is like the cheese covering every bite. It's supposed to be everywhere, affecting everything. If you study the New Testament, you find there's a clear connection between joy and other aspects of the Christian life. Joy is connected to faith. Joy is connected to the church when they gather for meals and worship. You you see joy in connection to prayer. Romans 12:12 says we should rejoice in hope. Romans 15:13 says, it's a prayer. It says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. So joy is connected to faith, to fellowship, to worship, to hope, to peace. It's also related to Christian ministry. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm a worker with you for your joy. Philippians 1, he says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy in the faith. In chapter uh, four of Philippians, he says the church is his joy and his crown. He says the same thing to the Thessalonians. Paul told the Philippians also that he prays for them with joy. So joy is essential both to the heart of ministry and to the motivation. We're supposed to serve with joy and we're supposed to serve for the joy of others. Godly joy should infuse, should enhance every aspect of the Christian life. You don't just sit down one morning and say, I'm gonna you know, try and conjure up joy for 10 minutes, then I'll go about my day. No, that's not where you do it. You, You do everything for the glory of God and you do everything with joy. That's part of what it means to rejoice always. True joy touches every aspect of the Christian life. The final principle, principle number four is this. True joy is compatible with pain. True joy is compatible with pain. Joy is not always good. True joy only comes from God. True joy touches every aspect of the Christian life. And number four, true joy is compatible with pain. If you've studied the Bible for any length of time, I assume you've come across this lesson. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to suffer. It means that even in the pain and the difficulties of this life, your joy doesn't have to go away. It shouldn't go away. There are many passages that connect joy with pain. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, rejoice when you're persecuted. In Acts 5, it says, the apostles suffered shame and they rejoiced. 2 Corinthians 6, it says Paul was a servant of God. He was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says the Macedonian churches were in a great ordeal of affliction, but then he says they had an abundance of joy. In Philippians 2, Paul says his life is being poured out as a sacrifice, but he rejoices. In Colossians 1, Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings. In 1 Thessalonians 1.6, it says the church experienced tribulation with joy. Hebrews 10.34 says, The Christians joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. How? Well, they look to Christ. And that's the the motivation, and that's the the, the main theme of of the book of Hebrews. Look to Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says, We are to put our attention, we're sort of place our eyes on Christ. He had a joy set before him, even as he endured the cross and despised the shame. That's the example we're called to follow. That's why James tells us, be joyful in trials. First Peter says we rejoice even though we're distressed by trials and even though we share in the sufferings of Christ. So it's a lot of passages, but I'm trying to just help you understand this is not an isolated or, or nuanced teaching. Joy, biblical joy, is not incompatible with suffering. They can exist together. And when you embrace that principle, then it won't seem harsh and it won't seem inappropriate for God to command you to be joyful. And he does that a number of times, at least 10 times. And one of them is the passage we just looked at, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice always. It was interesting to, to, to find out that the command to rejoice is actually a greeting in the New Testament. You know, today we say hi or hello, which is just an acknowledgement of the other person, but... In the Bible, usually when you see the word hail in the New Testament, like hail Caesar, or greetings, an angel might say to, to Mary, greetings, the word is rejoice. It was either a command to rejoice or it was given as, as a wish, may God give you joy. And wouldn't that be an amazing way to greet one another in the Lord, in the church, to see one another and say, rejoice always. It's good to see you. Rejoice, may God give you joy. Well, next week – well, not next week, but the next time I preach, um, I'm going to be talking about how we can be joyful. What should we be rejoicing in if we rejoice all the times? But until then, I pray that God gives you his joy. God bless.